Welcome to the Aftershock. We got a special lineup for you here tonight. I'm uh, Phil Lave. I got the Colin at Nyer and the Robert Jonas on the show with me. The first time, the first time in the modern era of the Aftershock that Jamin Moore and Alex Morgan, neither one of them, are on the show. So this is really interesting, guys. All right, we're, ta Quakes we're taking over. <laughs> the Quakes uh, get a, a three-three draw. They get a point on the road against Austin FC. A couple of impressive goals there from the Earthquakes, especially the banger from. Paul Marie from about 35 yards out. Um, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you first, Colin, for your initial thoughts regarding this match and this result for the Earthquakes. Uh, Paul Marie only knows how to score bangers, by the way. <laughs> it doesn't come in any other flavor from that guy. Um, and by the way, it's great to have a, a, a Paul Marie on the roster, you know, a guy who you draft kind of in the middle of the first round of the draft, develops into a real contributor on a, you know, on a low salary. Uh, the Quakes have a couple of those pieces and that's kind of what I was thinking about is they have a lot of guys individually I like as pieces on this roster. Uh, and it, it just still, you know, it's, there's a pretty big distance between those pieces that I, that I like and a whole complete team performance, um, you know, that, that is powerful and, and compelling today. It was a whole lot of fun. Um, but it was a whole lot of mess as well. Some of that is individual weaknesses. You know, Tommy Thompson was was just absolutely fish bait, you know, out there defensively. Um, and, you know, and Judson had some wild moments. And, you know, there's a couple of individual things you can point to. But, you know, look, a lot of these things are individual. A lot of them are collective. And both of them, it's going to be another six months before the team seriously can address them. But the, the attacking, by the way. I actually, so it's a stereotype, but generally defense is seen as more schematic in soccer and, and attack is more about individual talent. They've got that individual talent. You know, Montero is awesome. Epobacy is awesome. You know, you have some, some really cool stuff going on there that, you know, they'll be able to do innately and intuitively. The rest of the stuff, it'll probably take a while to fall into place. So yeah, I, I don't know. I had fun, but that was about it. Lots of individual mistakes. There are a lot of wide open spaces during the match. Um, Robert, I'm curious about your take in regards to the result for the earthquakes against the Austin FC here. Yeah, a lot of similarities uh, to Colin, what you said. And, you know, you look at that back four and, you know, other than Nathan, who I would say could probably step into many teams in the league's, uh, you know, uh, back, uh, back defensive line. It's, it's not, you know, they're okay. Um, and they, but they've got to play really good all the time to, to keep the quakes in games. And, and, uh, that first half was, you know, frenetic in ways that you could probably, you know, kind of equal, equal quantity, Austin just coming out blazing and, and San Jose just trying to kind of stand toe to toe to them at times. And, uh, you know, Austin came out one point better in, in that, uh, in that way, you know, we saw a second half that was much more controlled, much more. Uh, you know, sort of organized in a way, at least the way I was watching it. And, uh, you know, the Quakes sort of, you know, rode their luck a little bit at times and then finally got the opportunity. You're right. The offense isn't the problem on this team. I think most people have said that, you know, but the defense did enough to to keep Austin from stretching that lead. And that's uh, that was the window the Quakes needed to get back in it. So after Wednesday's performance in which I questioned the coach and, uh, you know, as to how how much energy his team was putting out there, it was nice to see them bounce back and, and put out a much uh, a much stronger effort in Austin tonight. Yeah, I also thought like coming down to the second half, the Quakes looked a lot more deliberate. I, I noticed, though, if you look at the statistics, they weren't as possession heavy in the second half as they were in the first half. 
but we saw a lot more deliberate play, a lot more risk taking in moments, a lot of nice crosses from Chris, Christian Espinoza. And we saw kind of like those probing moments from the team really showing that, you know, those sparks of creativity. Uh, it wasn't just Jamero Montero in this match, which the Quakes have heavily relied on. We also saw it from Benji Kakanovich uh, as well. You know, the, the goal that he scored um, that came in off the cross and he directed towards goal very easily could have been tucked away by Jeremy Abobasi if it wasn't on frame. But just the fact that he was in there putting in the hard work, he created his own luck and that goal uh, happened because of that hard work as well. But I think the big question remains, guys, as you've kind of mentioned, the, the defense. And this could be um, the last match that we see this sort of defensive setup granted the uh, or given the signings that just happened. And Colin, this is kind of like in your wheelhouse. So for folks who uh, are, you know, following Quakes Epicenter or tuning in for the first time, um, you can go over and check out our website, QuakesEpicenter.com, where you can find all of our articles in regard to the San Jose earthquakes. This is on signings, on budget, on analysis. And Colin recently had an article that came out that includes information about the two newest signings. So Colin, while you're here, why don't you go ahead and kind of tune us in as to what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, both of them are defenders, but they will help this team. This team needed, actually, I, I would start from a, different, a, a slightly earlier premise here, which is I think these two signings, would have been a, a great way to complete the defense if Calvo and Marcos Lopez had been able to be retained. Uh, if you have the whole group of them together, I would say that that's a deep, solid group that covers a lot of the different needs. Y you lose Calvo, you know, by the way, he's, he's older, you get a decent offer for him. He wanted to leave. Fair enough. Marcos Lopez running down his contract. You can't hold on to him. Fair enough. Um, but therefore, the two guys that came in, Rodriguez uh, from Gremio in Brazil, and then um, Carlos Acapo from uh, uh, Cadiz and La Liga. They cover for those gaps, but it was already a thin unit to start with. And I think that that's kind of the problem. Uh, that's kind of the, the broader context of this. For the more micro context, um, Acapo, I really like actually, uh, but is not necessarily going to revolutionize this team. Um, he, uh, incredible pace. It, the pace, a pace that stands out in La Liga, uh, is is really remarkable. And he uses that offensively, but he particularly uses it defensively. Uh, you rarely see him get clean beat because anytime he loses a step on a defender, he makes it back up. Um, so you know that that's that's important. He, he's a really really good anticipation of interceptions, and he uses his pace to kind of step into those passing lanes really quickly. So I, I love all that profile uh, and. In terms of technical ability, he's not a he's he would rank poorly for La Liga standards of technical ability. That doesn't mean he'll be poor when it translates to MLS. I think he'll probably kind of be more middle of the road for that. Um, but basically, what I would say is, you know, you're going to see somebody uh, like kind of an inverse of what you have with Tommy Thompson, which is he has a lot of athleticism and he has good defensive instincts, not as tidy on the ball. Tommy Thompson, obviously the athleticism and defensive instincts were exposed today. Uh, and so this, this solves that problem. Um, so I, I, I like that transaction a lot. It's a free transfer. He was on something around 250,000 in wages uh, in his previous club. I imagine he'll be on something similar uh, in San Jose. So to me, great deal. He's 29 years old. So that he'll have at least a couple more high level years left in him. Uh, but again, to me, that is something that would have been a great addition to the existing full grat group before they lost Marcos Lopez for the season. Although, note that Paul Marie did look pretty darn good on the left and has in many times in his uh, career. The other uh, transaction is Rodriguez. I, I actually think that if you 
if you gave a couple of glasses to wine to Chris Leach, he would tell you that they probably would have ideally brought Rodriguez in as the third starting level center back with Calvo still on the roster. Um, Rodriguez could well turn into a solid starter for the club, but I think he's a little bit more of a question mark about whether or not he'll be at Nathan's level. Nathan is a, is a great center back. I don't know if he's going to be at that level. Uh, mm. Very strong player um, and uh, physical. Uh, and the thing that's interesting about him is, so, you know, enough pace to hang. Technically speaking, I don't know if he's the best technical player, but he did a lot of kind of starting the build for his team at Gremio because he played on the right of a back three. So he would step up into midfield and initiate uh, the kind of the, the movement forward. So he has some of that ability, which is something that Calvo brought as well. Um, but, you know, I don't think he's going to have that same level of technical excellence uh, on the ball. And he's right footed uh, and probably going to be slightly less comfy on the left. So if you're talking about so the, on the small picture, like Acapo a lot, Rodriguez, I, I'm not necessarily sold on, but it's a loan with an option to buy, so the Quakes don't have to be sold on him either. Uh, in terms of how that solves this year's problems, well, it took a completely threadbare defensive unit, and it makes it at least kind of has the gaps covered. There's no longer, you know, you know, your feet uh, or your head aren't covered by the blanket. Like, they've gotten past that part, uh, but they're not yet from a position of strength. So I think it will help. Uh, I think Tanner Basin had a rough night tonight. Uh, and I think that having another option there would be useful. Um, so I think that this covers the big problems, but this is not going to change this defense into a, an elite unit. It is just going to cover the gaping holes. Absolutely. I think that's a good point in terms of uh, what Acapo is going to bring to the team, as well as, as Rodriguez as well. I'm curious to see how he fits in with the squad, to see what Alex Covello has in mind in terms of what the defensive uh, you know, combination of players is going to look like. But one thing I really like about Acapo is he is going to come in right away and he's going to fill that gap right there as a right back. I think that's really important. If you go back and watch the, the goal from Driussi tonight, uh, when Tommy Thompson was basically ball watching and was sucked into the play, I mean, that's a prime example of a player with really high tactical acumen, how they can come in and make quite a difference for a team and not allow those sort of late runs to completely, you know, disrupt or lead to a goal scoring opportunity. Um, Colin, after reading... Okay, it looks like we're going over to the press conference now with Alex Covello. So we'll get back to that conversation afterwards. Good evening, everyone. After um, the Quakes 3-3 road draw against Austin FC, we're now joined by interim head coach Alex Covello. So let's go straight to questions, starting with Jamin Moore. Hi, coach. Jamin. I hear you. I don't know if you hear me. Hi, Coach. I wanted to, I, you know, talk to you about. Uh, you got a good draw tonight. At the very end, we're able to pull it out, but it feels like, you know, at this point, the team, the team also needs wins, right? So, how do you take a situation like this, where you go into a place like Austin, you get a point uh, against a very difficult team at, toward the top of the table? Um, but at the same time, you know that you need to get three points. How do you look at a result like this? Thank you. Thank you, Jamon. It's for me simple. Keep insisting. I think that uh, some games we were better than the opener, and little things made different. And today, the team showed that uh, has soul, has spirit. They want to keep fighting for the opportunities and, and possibilities that they have. And um, I think it's what they see. Um, I think we had opportunities to score also. It was an even game. The third goal was a little bit unfortunate, I think, you know, 
was out, no, was was an out between Matt and Judson there, but uh, my team played a good game in general over you. So I'm so happy. Next up, uh, Robert Jones. Uh, thank you. Uh, this is kind of a follow-up to what we were talking about on Wednesday night, you know, where clearly the team did not start that game very strong. You know, you had the you had the same uh, quite quite a bit of the same lineup up there, and you saw we saw a very different first half. Um, what was some of the specific uh, messaging you were giving the team going into this game that you think uh, resulted in that uh, that improved performance? Insist, bring confidence, give them the confidence, the same team, you know, that they can do it. That is, uh, that is about to believe in, in ourselves. And these guys, they're believing themselves. Um, you can control what you can control. And the, the soccer, as I always said, or we said, is the most unpredictable game. Or once a that the ball can go in or can go out. And in the last games, we were a little bit unfortunate. Obviously, in soccer, happens. That's why you win or you lose. But if you see the process, if you see the team playing offensively and defensively, with our uh, sometimes uh, those kind of, of limitations, they are doing a good job. We need to, to keep insist, insist. Thank you. This question comes from Alex Morgan. He asks, uh, Alex, what do you think of the new signings and? How are they going to be in, in addition to the team, and how will they help improve the defense this season? Well, um, what, what I can tell you is what uh, with the club we were we were um, obviously the club did um, did uh, a good job searching, scouting, they analyzed the players, and then obviously they share with us different options, and we thought that uh, Carlos Acapo and and Rodriguez, uh, they were a good profile for us that they could they could improve uh, our roster. Thanks, Alex. Let's uh, now take a question from Anay Patel. Uh, we'll go ahead and come back to you, uh, Anay. Um, let's actually now skip to the Spanish portion and take a question from Carlos Luis. Alex, eh, buenas noches. En... Hola, Carlos. <laughs> Como siempre, me, me tendrás que corregir si, si no lo ves igual, pero eh, creo que eh, con tan pocos partidos que quedan, la necesidad de ganar es importante y esos partidos dejan una sensación agridulce porque sigues entregando muchos goles, pero el equipo sigue atacando muy bien, no baja los brazos y consigue los resultados, ¿no? Eh, entonces la pregunta con, con ese síntoma de lo que fue este partido es ¿qué tanto impacto puede tener los dos refuerzos para tener un pacto inmediato y poder a lo mejor pelear por esas victorias en lo que queda de la temporada? Y la otra sería si a ti en lo personal te gustaría poderte quedar con el proyecto porque son detallitos los que se podrían estar, ¿no? Y, y el hecho de ya poder tener un plantel más completo pues también te ayudaría a ti a, a, a poder seguir trabajando con el grupo. Gracias, Carlos. Me pido por la segunda. Espero que también se traduzca bien. Recuerdo cuando, cuando se caló contra Galaxy, pues se, ¿no? se hablaba de candidatos, no candidatos. Yo dije desde el primer momento que estoy aquí en San José, por San José, lo llevo dentro, lo llevo en el corazón, doy todo lo que puedo, junto con, con Steve Raston, Luciano Cusco, Tuvo Fernández, Chris Wondolowski y el resto del staff. Y yo tengo que dar lo mejor. 
Y es lo mismo con partido. Cuando uno da lo mejor, a veces vienen resultados, a veces no. Pero creo que en el proceso estamos. Estoy contento con lo que estamos haciendo. Eso es referente a la segunda. No puedo contestar eso. Eh, respecto a la primera, lógicamente, cuando un club trata de traer jugadores porque intenta eh, ayudar al grupo, a la plantilla, para seguir creciendo y seguir mejorando. Lógicamente, esos jugadores tienen que venir, tienen que adaptarse. Nos quedan 10 partidos ahora mismo, si no me equivoco, y llevo un tiempo. Creo que son jugadores que a corto plazo pueden ayudar, pero están orientados a, a largo plazo. Y por eso, y, y aún más... Por eso aún más valoro el trabajo que estos chicos están haciendo. Y por eso valoro aún más el trabajo que mi cuerpo técnico está haciendo. Hey Alex, uh, and we will take one last question from Alex Morgan. His question is, if there's any update on JT's uh, injury as of this moment. Uh, Alex, the only news that they had uh, before he came here is, had to be around seven days, you know, and he was improving, he's improving. Um, he's a player that cares a lot about the team, about the group. He's a big player inside the look room, so hopefully he recovers uh, quick. But at the same time, I, I think that Matt Persano had a, a very good game today. So we need to congrat congratulate him because he helped us. All right, thank you, Alex. And we'll be bringing over Jeremy of OBC in a few minutes. Um, cranked up the gain on my microphone a little bit, so I hope that helps. <laughs> so folks can hear. Yeah, I saw a couple of comments there in the YouTube chat. I had a chance to check it out. Um, hey, I blame it on the audiobooks. I do audiobooks on the side for a living as well, and I have the gain adjusted to a certain level, so you can't hear all the like mouth noise and everything. So anyway, back to the show. I do like that Alex Covello uh, recognizes the the play for Matt Bersano. You know, just stepping in, getting his first start for the club, having his first appearance for the club in the last match. So, um, but I wanted to, to redirect our discussion here really quickly back to the signing to Acapo at the right back position because I wanted to finish that thought. You know who he kind of reminds me of just a little bit, uh, just on the opposite side is Jordan Stewart in terms of like what you were writing about, Colin. Uh, there are those bursts of pace. There is like the tactical awareness, but perhaps there's some of the um, like the touch isn't quite there. Maybe some of the vision in the attacking half isn't quite there. But he's somebody that's reliable. He can get back really quickly, and he allows for the quakes to go into the attack and yet, you know, recover and, and defend in that fashion. And that's something that the Quakes have been doing uh, under Matias Almeida. And we are seeing a little bit here with Alex Covello. So, um, Robert, I wanted to give you an opportunity to add into the discussion in regards to the signings before we uh, say anything in regards to Covello's response to the match as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Jordan Stewart, because uh, even before Colin had, had even uh, written that down, that was one of the first things I was thinking about when I saw his name being floated out there. Sort of, it seemed like a similar background and a player that the Quakes were targeting to potentially give them a similar, uh, you know, give the Quakes a, sim a similar performance in, in a couple of years uh, in San Jose. At center back, I noticed a commenter made the point about, um, you know, you know Tanner Beeson, you know, and, and no shade on Tanner Beeson at all. He's been very, very good at times for this team. Um, and he's definitely growing into that position and he's getting every opportunity uh, to to show that he can be the starting center back for San Jose moving forward. Um, it'll be good for him to have that competition. I mean, when Francisco Calvo was on the team, you know, Tanner was more or less the third 
third center back and he would you know put him in a position where he had to work to earn that position you know with rodriguez coming aboard we may have the same opportunity to to again you know kind of create that competition within the team that you know ultimately elevates the performance by getting the two guys on the field that um, are doing the best in training showing the coaches that they can get it done one last thing about the uh, the transfer window and i think i tweeted this out but i wanted to kind of make this comment uh, in more depth um i'm finding it really difficult to assign a grade to this uh this transfer window in 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 light of the fact that the quakes really they don't have a head coach yet i mean alex covello is in the interim coach he's definitely fighting to be the potentially the longer term permanent head coach but uh, if it doesn't go in that direction and it's not looking like this Quakes team is going to make the playoffs, so it makes it very difficult to reward Alex with the job, you know, it, we're stuck in this limbo of wondering who that next coach is going to be. And is that next coach going to come in with a similar philosophy? Are they going to want to play the way that maybe Chris Leach wants to play or maybe stocking up on players uh, in a way that Chris, Chris Leach is thinking about. It just feels unfortunate that the coaching search has gone on as long as it has, because it it could have informed this window much more and potentially in either bringing different players aboard, maybe not bringing these players aboard, or at the very least validating that these were choices that that coach wants on the team. So um, that that's my last thought on the transfer window in terms of the overall scope of, is this going to be good for the team? I, I don't know. I don't know who the head coach is going to be. And I don't know what kind of playing style that coach is going to prefer as we enter 2023. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have a lot more opportunities to discuss these signings and the, you know, uh, whichever other moves that the FO is going to be making, especially with the head coach, Robert, as you mentioned. Um, Colin, I wanted to give you an opportunity to make a final comment in regards to these most recent signings before we go back over into discussion on uh, some of the stuff from the game. Yeah, I, I know it's a bit of a cliche. I think that the appropriate grade is incomplete. And the, the reason why it's actually much closer to the academic analogy than when you people usually say incomplete. It's because all, all of these moves, all of the deck clearing is kind of deferring major action for the offseason. So a lot of these things are punting the ball down the road. Uh, and so hypothetically, the space, you know, look, they, they shed $2.3 million of salary. They took in about $2 million of transfer fees uh, and got opened up a DP slot. Uh, and in return, they only brought in about 600 grand. Uh, and, and some of that is pretty easy to shed relatively quickly, given the structure of these new contracts. So that's clearing a lot of space and it's taking care of the immediate challenges. It's giving a lot of space to whoever the next coach is to the build in the offseason where you can do a little bit more major surgery and major work. Therefore, it's by definition incomplete is you are you're taking a portion of your assignments and you're kicking them to the next semester. You know, you're not turning in your final paper. And the question is, like, are the fans going to accept that? You know, are they, and I think that quite frankly, the answer is probably not. However, it's not necessarily the worst idea in terms of roster building. Sometimes it is good to be patient and kick the can down the road. I think that the difference here is that the fans just don't have trust long term in the club of being able to convert opportunity and space into results. I think this current front office has actually put together a really good track record for only being in power for, you know, roughly a year, uh, give or take. Um, but look, the, the ownership group in the front office really needs to kind of win fans over that they can use the, the space that they have created productively. Uh, and I think there's some good signs there, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, and I think had they gone a little bit farther and put in a couple more players or a higher level players that, uh, you know, could really, you know, rather than just kind of tread water, maybe push it on. You know, Robert, obviously you, you mentioned the rumor of John Brooks. I don't 
know if that's necessarily going to be the perfect fit for both sides, but that's the kind of thing that would take this to the next level. But it's really hard to make a signing like that and invest the money that would require without a head coach way out of the playoff race and not really knowing what the long-term future looks like. So I don't mind the fact they've kicked the can down the road, but I also don't mind when fans complain about it because they haven't really seen evidence that that is going to be picked up productively later on. So the the last time I was on the show, I think was on the, you know, during the weekend, this was before uh, this last match against Miami. One of the conversations I had with Jamin and Alex was about, uh, you know, where the San Jose earthquakes are going to identify in terms of how they're building the squad. Is it going to be an academy based team, something like the Philadelphia union or FC Dallas um, who, you know, whichever one you look at, there are successes in some of the um, of what these teams are doing. So FC Dallas, for example, has not been finding success lately. However, Philadelphia Union has. They're one of the top teams in the league. Or are the Earthquakes going to build out, as we've seen from teams like the Colorado Rapids or uh, the New England Revolution, who have found success in the league, signing players and not necessarily drawing from the academy? We agreed together that like we would prefer to see ideologically the team build up from the academy. And perhaps we're seeing that now. I'm curious in your guys's thoughts about where the earthquakes are right now robert perhaps you you know this would be an opportunity for you to chime in here um you know what what is your idea as to which direction this team should be going in can we trust that the team can develop talent from the academy with guys like cade cowell uh, going all the way back to tommy thompson or maybe what we're seeing now from emia choa or should we see more signings or, or it's like colin said um, the, the club is going to have a really difficult time bringing in guys like John Brooks if they're not winning and if fans are not coming to the stadium and they haven't shown that they're willing to adjust the budget in that fashion. So, you know, uh, now that you are both here on the show, I'm interested to hear what you think about the direction that the club is going in terms of their ideology. Robert, if you want to chime in first. Yeah, so, uh, you know, when I hear uh, kind of the, the banter back and forth about, okay, what is this Quakes team going to be? What is going to be its philosophy? How is it going to stack up against te- other teams around the league? And, and I'm reminded back to, uh, you know, way back when, when uh, Dave Cavill, was president of the team and and he's quite the salesman let's uh, let's give him that and he made it very clear that you know while the LA team LA was going to buy their roster the the earthquakes were going to grow their roster and he you know put a sort of flag in the ground that the San Jose organization was going to build from within and, and build up from the youth um whoops looks we're heading over to the press conference starting with Robert Jones. Uh, uh, thank you, and, thank uh, you. and uh, congrats, uh, congrats a, a game time a game goal in, in such a fashion has to, to feel good. I'm sure three points would have felt uh, even better tonight. Um, but I was, uh, you know, wanted to ask about how this game compared for you and for the team uh, when we look at Wednesday's game, which you know didn't look as energetic, didn't look like uh, everyone was you know, fully on the same page. It looked a lot better tonight. You know, what was the the conversations around uh, the team, around the players, as you were getting ready for the game tonight. Can you guys hear me? I can hear you now. Um, I don't know if you heard my question there. I can't hear. All right, Jeremy, can you hear me now? 
I think we have the dreaded dead air. Going yeah, it looks like the, the press conference has dropped out. So, yeah, I was just catching up on the chat there for a second. Anyway, Robert, you were you were making your point here about the Quakes' identity and their philosophy in terms of developing players from the academy. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit uh, before jumping back over to the press conference. Yeah, yeah sort of a cop between uh, two comments there. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, you know, thinking about where, you know, you know, people in charge of this team were saying it's going to be a, you know, a, a, an academy focused, a youth player focused team, you know, numerous seasons ago. And it's not a long list of players that have made it into the first team that you could say San Jose, you know, successfully grew out of their academy. It's a very, it's a very small list. And, and in terms of effectiveness, maybe, maybe even smaller still. So it's not as if they're, they're deciding today that that's what they're going to be. You know, they've, they've, they've been making, uh, you know, decisions, you know, kind of with that in mind for, for many, many seasons now. And unfortunately, uh, they're probably pretty far behind other teams in the league that, uh, you know, kind of made that commitment as well. It's going to take a big, big, you know, change of, uh, you know, kind of, you know, mentality, leadership, you know, money, let's be honest, to, to, to grow the academy and, and get a pipeline in the, in the same way Dallas and Philadelphia do. I'm, not, I'm just not convinced it's something that's going to happen overnight. And as, as much as the, uh, the Bay Area is a very fertile ground for youth players, the earthquakes still have a lot of work to do to, to be that number one dog here in the area and, and get other youth clubs, you know, not necessarily feeding the Quakes Academy, but, you know, the, you know some level of the cooperation that would get the best players into this team. Um, by the way, I, so the, the growing of something, a point I kind of tried to make on, on Twitter the other day was that, you know, the best deals, the best deals obviously are when you grow your own from the Academy up, that's the cheapest way to get an all-star player. You know, if you're Harry Kane at Tottenham, they paid $0 of transfer fees. And even if you add up all the coaching costs or whatever, that's not remotely the same scale of the value you provide. So that's the cheapest way. The second one is when you're waiting for the market to come to you. So when you get to be patient and wait for the best possible deal to come along, usually sometimes like right at the end of the transfer window, you know, right on the deadline, you can pick the bargain bin for the exact right deal. Here's the problem. That, well, yes, Jeremy Bobasi is a great deal uh, that kind of fell into their laps and they were very opportunistic about it. Montero actually was a, was a deal that fell into their laps and they were very opportunistic about it. The problem is you can't fill your roster with exclusively homegrowns and bargain bin perfect opportunity deals. That's just not enough to fill a squad of, you know, 18 to 20 serious, talented first team players. You're not going to get 18 to 20 that are bargain bin perfect purchases. You're going to have to be a little bit more proactive and aggressive in certain areas. Um, You're going to have to choose your spots maybe about where you push your chips in, but you are going to have to push your chips in sometimes. Uh, And so I just want to reiterate $2.3 $2.3 million of salaries came up the books this window. Only 600000 got added. $2 million came in in transfers. And the, uh, well, I guess we see the update here from Jamin here that we apparently will not get Jeremy Bovesi tonight. But it's a shame because J-Bo is like one of the, probably the most thoughtful people that's ever <laughs> been in San Jose Earthquakes press conferences. And, and Robert, you've been covering the team longer than I have, but I think that's probably true. Um, but the point I'm saying is there's a lot of money that came off the books. I think it is very possible when the MLS Players Union publishes their update in the fall for the team salaries, that San Jose Earthquakes will be dead last in first team spending. 
you can absolutely be a build from within kind of franchise. And by the way, build from within provides its most value in the transfer fees you get for selling those young players rather than the actual value on the field that those players provide. If you look at what FC Dallas and Philadelphia Union are doing at any given moment, they don't have more than two or three homegrowns that are contributing on the pitch. What they're contributing is huge transfer fees that they're then reinvesting and reinvesting in young players from abroad as well. So I think there is a real growth story here, but the growth story can't exist in a, in a space of underinvestment. And that's the place we're in right now. Again, I think it's valid to say that they're open. And the, I think the front office is actually done a really good job of not overspending on players that didn't deserve it, because that's what really kills your team when you give out huge contracts to players who don't deserve it. But there's going to be a point where this continual underpaying leads to an underinvestment that just leads to a deficit that's going to be too hard to catch up to. And the good news about MLS is the way the roster rules work, a small bump in spending and a couple good windows in a row, you can actually change the fortunes of a team quite quickly. And you'll see that the fortunes of teams throughout the league will soar and fall quite quickly. Um, but it does require some serious you know, proactivity uh, that we have not seen. Uh, the only other thing point I wanted to make is just in reference to what Robert was discussing about uh, the permanent head coach hire. Um, first of all, not telling Alex Cavello he's not the guy does not require you announcing who the right guy is, but it does liberate Cavello to no longer make decisions based on what's going to help him win games because, quite frankly, winning games is how he wins his job. If you tell him he doesn't have the job, now he can play young players who might not be the best players, uh, but give them development. The other problem uh, of not having the right person in place is then you have tactical ambiguity, uh, and that makes it harder to build a roster. The best rosters are built around a particular idea of how to play. Uh, and right now, I, you know, as an example, I actually still like Tanner Beeson quite a lot. Here's the problem. He's not particularly athletic, and he's probably barely six feet tall. So if he's on the left of a center back three, he's great. Uh, if he's in a system where he's in a deep block, he's great. But if he's defending one-on-one -on -one in space quite a bit, that's tough. You know, that's not the great situation for him. Uh, and this is true of all players. All players fit better into certain roles and systems than others. And if you don't have a permanent head coach in place who's going to give you an idea of what that system looks like, you don't know which kind of guys to buy. Uh, Acapo, I actually really like as kind of a defensively oriented, really solid right back. But what if the next coach wants a wing back who can be good on the ball and be a creator? Well, that's tough. Um, obviously, even when you have a clear idea of what your system is, you can't get exactly perfect system fits from everybody if you're not spending top dollar. Uh, but I think that those are the two things that are really kind of holding the franchise back. They've put yeah. everything on the back burner until then. I get it. Um, but it's going to be kind of a, a an, an impatient uh, wait for us to see if they can actually deliver on that, uh, both in terms of the resources that they do have and whether Fisher will increase the resources and no longer be the bottom team in the league. One last thing, actually, because Robert reminded me of talking to Dave Cavill. Seven years ago, talking to Dave Cavill, he said, yeah, look, we don't want to be the top spending team in the league because they thought that kind of spending was rational. He said, we want to be dead middle. We want to be at least at the median or above the median in the league. That's not where they are right now. They are dead last. <laughs> so I think that this is kind of uh, just – and by the way, being dead last for one cycle, if you go through cycles of being in and out, fair enough. New York City was dead last, actually, for a little bit. Um, but what we obviously know that the upswing has not happened in the last, well, actually since the franchise is rebooted. So I think that those are the problems here is you gotta, I have a lot of faith in the front office to make good decisions because they made really good decisions for the last year. I don't know if they're going to get the resources to make good enough decisions to make a serious contending team.
Um, but I think that if they're given those resources, MLS rules allow you to move up the table actually pretty quickly uh, if you have another couple of windows with serious investment. So the big question here is then, Colin, if the you know the teams in the league tend to have those swings, as you said, in spending. I mean, NYCFC had a big one, right? And then they ended up winning MLS Cup right afterward. Yep. Um, is this foreseeable for this organization, do you think? Yeah. I mean, look – Actually, you know what? So I, I, I hope they won't mind. This is, a, this is not like a rumor sources reporting, but when you talk to people in the front office and ask them about how recruitable, because actually another thing Dave Cavill uh, said seven years ago was prior to getting a Vaya Stadium, they found it hard to recruit players because they would show up and they would see a subpar facility that didn't look particularly professional. Now they have a Vaya. And although, well, I mean, excuse me, PayPal Park. My apologies to the PayPal people. Um, now that they have the new facility, and, and those of us who, who love the club and go as fans, sometimes you know, we have our complaints about it. But quite frankly, it actually does stack up pretty well in world football. So if you're looking at, uh, you know, second division Brazilian clubs, I mean, Gremio is a big club, so it's probably a you know, mischaracterization. But if you're looking around the world, that stadium actually is pretty nice. Those facilities are decent. They look professional. They look at least like a decent professional stadium. So that thing is solved. I was wondering, I you know, said, hey, guys, you know, I'm sure you guys have trouble recruiting players when you're at the bottom of the table. And they're like, actually, no, it's California. People from around the world want to be in California. Northern California is an immensely, well, first of all, the United States is an immensely desirable place for footballers for uh, any number of reasons. One of them is you talk to South American footballers and say, well, we know that our checks are going to get paid on time in MLS. You know, not just that there's going to be good wages, but we know for a fact that they're going to hit our bank account where in Argentina, there's some Argentine clubs in serious financial straits, and you don't know, right? Uh, Brazil, there's a lot of corruption issues in their football program. So a lot of the players like the stability of the U.S. Uh, employment. They like living in the United States. They particularly like living in Northern California. This is a location and a brand that should be attractive and absolutely could be. I don't think there's any impediments in recruitment here uh, other than the resources offered and the quality of the decision-making. I think the quality of the decision-making has gotten a lot better under Leach plus coach to be named later rather than Jesse plus Matias. Uh, and now the other barrier is the one barrier remaining is the level of investment, which has mm-hmm. declined over the last couple of years, whereas the rest of the league has increased. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, it doesn't hurt that now the front office can bring the players through the facilities and it's not the Santa Clara university, you know, locker room that they're bringing them. They're actually bringing them through real professional facilities. And you're right. It is a desirable place to play because of the guarantee of pay because of the weather, because of the activities that we have throughout the Bay area. Um, Okay. So what I would like to do is go ahead and shift over to some, some more analysis of the game. And I wanted to talk to you quickly, our, we have as much time as you want, actually, but I really wanted to talk about the offensive side of the ball because we haven't really we haven't talked about that too much. We've kind of talked about the the new signings, the defensive woes of the team. But looking at the goals that the Earthquake scored tonight, we had the Benji Kakanovich goal, sort of like a gritty play off of a cross that comes in from the left wing. We have the uh, the Jeremy Abobasi goal at the end of the match where he just you know dunks over the opposing player in order to score a real show of grit late in the game to earn a point which is we're talking about identity this is this is part of the identity of this club at times is they see things through um unfortunately we also see them give up goals late as well but they kind of tend to stick together was one thing that like Matias Almeida imparted in this team was to have that form of identity in the very least if you know for all the tactical stuff that was missing from this team uh, the last goal coming from 
Paul Marie, well, the second goal, but the, the one that I hadn't mentioned yet, which was an absolute banger, right? Scoring it from distance. So considering the goals that the team created and they scored, we had one from a set piece. We had a couple coming in from crosses. What does that tell us about how this team is functioning offensively? Um, because that doesn't seem to be as much of a concern for this team. However, it is indicative of how the team is playing uh, and also considering that they gave up the three goals as well. Robert, I'd like to bring you back into the conversation here. I'm curious about your thoughts about the offensive output for the San Jose Earthquakes. Yeah, I was I was pleased. You know, I I can't imagine that uh, Paul Marie is going to score that goal more than you know one out of twenty twenty five times perhaps, um, but uh, sometimes you got to just unleash one and see what happens. And and uh, you know you're not you you're not going to score if you don't take those shots. Um, seeing the set piece goals and some of the set piece opportunities was again very promising. It's not a way to build an offense, and I think that's still where the quakes uh, for me are not as I guess fluid as they they could be. You know they they do run a lot through, uh, you know, Jamiro. He, he sort of kind of does uh, shepherd a lot of the play forward. Um, Benji's kind of, he's scrapping. He's a fast player, so he's keeping defenders sort of on their back heels at times. This was Christian Espinosa's best game in a while. I did think he uh, put a nice performance in as well. And uh, I think the broadcasters on TV were mentioning how Jeremy Abobasi was, you know, Daniel Slayton said, you know, getting back into the play a little bit more and successfully, you know, giving the Quakes one more person to work with. You know, that that kind of movement impressed me that kind of movement inspired me to think okay yeah this offense can you know you know find some a little more consistency maybe not uh, kind of get lucky on a, some set pieces here and there and and really create some quality scoring chances uh, i don't think the xg numbers and for tonight are very all that impressive for the earthquakes you know but they did finish and they got finishes uh, when they needed them and uh, you know they walked away with that point can they do it every week it's the kind of team for me, uh, offensively, we're talking about, it's the kind of uh, effort that, you know, they really have to be on. They really have to be, you know, uh, you know I'll use Covello's words here. He he mentioned uh, he thought tonight the team had soul, the team had spirit. Um, I know that's for all 11 players, but you really need to see that out of your offense. You really need to see, you know, Jabo come back and, and make those plays, be as engaged in the game as he was. And, and when you do start to see those things, then you can start to believe that comebacks are possible, that, you know, they're not just going to, you know, mail it in for 5, 10, 15 minute stretches uh, as we have seen. You know, that was not something we necessarily saw tonight. I'm encouraged by that. You know, this is a team with uh, players that are probably, you know, honestly and realistically starting to audition for their roles in the next year's team. And uh, that's, uh, you know, to still be able to put together some team goals like they did is, uh, I think, something we should uh, we should acknowledge. And Colin, I'd like to go ahead and shift it over to you uh, in regards to the offensive output from the squad, whatever thoughts that you have in regards to that. Yeah. So I actually, while Robert was talking, I looked up the XG from American Soccer Analysis because I was so interested in it. Uh, Austin, 2.42. San Jose, 0.77. That is a pretty yawning deficit uh, between the two sides. And I actually think it's it speaks to, especially two of the goals that San Jose scored are extreme unlikely. Um, the first, of course, the Thunder Bastard from Paul Marie, you know, tip your cap. That is, you know, hitting the lottery, but he's done it twice now. Um, the Benji Kikanovich one, clearly accidental, uh, deflected off of a Paul Marie cross, actually. Um, and that one also is going to go down for very low XG. Bobasi is the only one that's going to be higher, but since it's a headed ball, it's not going to be as much as if it was with the feet from that distance. Um, so I, I think that 
I, I think that that is a little bit of a chastening thing, you know, to say like, hey, maybe maybe the three goals here are not as reflective of like genuine, uh, you know, offensive excellence. And I did notice throughout the game, it, it seemed like uh, Abobasi was not connecting as well uh, with the guys around him as he usually does. He still found his way to show up in the right place at the right time and, and score, which is the primary role of a nine. Um, but the rest of it wasn't working as well. Uh, the the what I would say about kind of on a more global level of this attacking unit is, it, you know, as I said earlier, there are people who disagree with me. There are certain coaches who think that attacking is is more structured than perhaps I'm giving it credit for. Antonio Conte is a very structured attacking coach. Um, Greg Berhalter, the U.S. national team, really believes in attacking patterns and that like patterns and systems generate goals. I'm still a little bit of a believer that individuals generate goals. Montero is a, a blessing of a creative player to have in San Jose. I love watching him play. And by the way, the way he wins the ball back in the attacking third also generates chances. Christian Espinosa, as Robert said, uh, is a very high quality player. He looked terrible for portions of the time under Al- late Almeida, as many people did. He now is like turning back into the DP that we saw when we first got him back in 2019. Um, he's super high quality in the ball, makes good decisions. He's quick uh, and is like defensively very engaged. Again, potentially winning the ball high up the pitch. Those three guys all make sense to me together as a package uh, and they connect with each other well. Kikanovic has really emerged on the left wing and kind of played himself, well, first of all, well better than what Kay Cowell was offering in the same role earlier in the year. Uh, and has kind of made himself essential. Um, the, the only limitation there, and I've expressed this before, is he's still being put as a square peg into a round hole at left wing. That's not necessarily his natural role, or at least the way he's being used here. Um, Because he's at his best, in my opinion, when he's in the box, when he's a nose for goal, making runs off the ball uh, and and finishing those those moves off. Um, And so he's basically a wide nine, maybe, uh, and less of like a a natural interconnector midfielder type player. Um, So I think he's doing an incredibly good job uh, in the role that he's being asked to do. But I don't think it's the exact right role for him. Um, and I think that that's one potential area of improvement. It's one of the reasons I suggested that if the club wanted to go big and make an investment, that's where to be. But the one position group we haven't talked about yet in an explicit terms is those central midfielders who lie in deeper positions. That's where I was going next. I'm yeah. going and I was going to say that's connected to the attacking conversation. It's connected to the defensive conversation. Maybe, oh, excuse me. Maybe we'll t- I'm, I talk with my hands too much. I've been in New York for a year and it's already exactly. happening like to central me. Midfield. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, I'll turn it back to you for there. But that is affecting both sides of the ball in, in dramatic ways. So, you know, maybe Phil, I'll give it back to you if you wanted to jump in there. No, um, I, I was just thinking about central midfield and how, like, playing Judson today kind of changed Jackson Yule's, uh, you know, p- positioning just a little bit. Although sometimes I have a hard time putting a, my finger on, like, exactly what Yule's role is with this team. And I, I don't think that he, ha- you know, exactly had a, a great performance today just looking at some of his play. But that's kind of where I wanted to lead the conversation because you're talking about how important it is to have those playmakers in the middle and how they can affect the team, how Jamiro Montero has really come and like revolutionized the creativity for this team. And, you're, you know, we had kind of talked about some of the MLS Cup winners in the past. We just referenced NYCFC. And I'm thinking about the players who most affect those teams over time. You know, for NYCFC, it wasn't just uh, Castellanos who really changed the offensive output 
output for that team, it was Maxi Morales. You know, if you go back to the Columbus crew, when they were successful, they had Lucas Zellerayan functioning well with Giassi's artists, Seattle Sounders, Nico Lodero, right? And you know how, how they formed themselves offensively and who they have up top as well, Raul Ruiz Diaz. Uh, Atlanta United, going back to Miguel Almiron and Joseph Martinez. So all of these teams kind of are, are playing with that sort of tactical uh, formation and, and, and outlook on how they're, you know, producing goals, which we do get a bit with Montero, but there are still these big question marks with how the rest of the central midfield is forming. And we're seeing that, I think, right now at Jackson Yule. So I, I was seeing a lot of comments in the chat, very critical of Jackson Yule, because it, it is appearing, I think, to a lot of folks that um, his positioning isn't quite solidified. The identity of um, his role with the team, other than being the captain, as that time question, like what exactly he's doing, should he be playing back and providing more coverage for the back four, or could he be playing farther up the pitch? Um, and then there's also the question of like, you know, defensively, what you know, what, is, what ends up happening to the team when you have somebody like that playing back in front of the back four? Does that actually allow for Jamiro Montero to create more play, or does it does it take away from that? So here's here's a question I was going to ask you guys: um, Is Judson the the player that Alex Covello needs to be starting for the squad or is there some other formula is there some other player is it Eric Rometty like what exactly do we need to see in order to find success given the players that the Quakes currently have um Colin I'll go ahead and kick it back over to you first and then we'll hear what Robert has to say um, I'm flattered Phil um yeah no look I'm you did not have a great game tonight it was not a good performance for him by his standards uh I, I I'm aware at this point that I'm a little bit lonely on the Island of, of looking at Jackson Ewell and seeing a good player in there. That doesn't mean strong performances all the time, uh, but it means like, I believe that he can be put into a place where he's very productive for what it's worth. Yeah. And sometimes I get it completely wrong, but like, that's what I saw with Christian Espinosa at the beginning of the season. I was like, I know there is a quality player in there. Just the way he's being used does not make sense to me. It's not working. So I um, I knew for I just knew in my fire every fiber of my being that there was a good Christian Espinosa in there, and in that case it, there was. I hope I'm right about Jackson Ewell as well. Um, and the reason that I have a relatively sunny um, view of his long term potential is that I think that his passing skills are rare uh, and invaluable. Uh, I think they're one of the most valuable skills that you know exists in world's football. Uh, are those deep lying passers and connectors. That being said. Those types of players in particular, and Jackson Ewell specifically, need to be put, it, the pieces around them need to be situated in a way that puts them in the best possible situation to succeed. They need the team to kind of shape around them rather than the other way around. Uh, and in my mind, what's, being, what's going on around Ewell is not necessarily putting himself uh, at, at the best possible uh, light. For example, having Beeson underneath him as a center back means that you have somebody who's not particularly athletic covering you. When you have Judson and or Rometty beside you, you have like somewhat limited defensive midfielders. Rometty can't cover much ground to cover for you. Judson uh, still has some defensive capabilities, and he showed some of them tonight, but is, is a limited player offensively or with the ball. And those defensive capabilities are not nearly as imposing as they were in years past. So I, I think that, you know, I was thinking like um, Eduardo Estuesta uh, from LAFC, when he was at LAFC, if you put that guy next to Jackson Ewell, I, I think Ewell would look really, really, really good. An alternative vision, by the way, is you put Ewell as a, you know, as a six, as a regista six, and have two guys in front of him who are manic ball winning, more advanced players. Montero is obviously one of them. 
the one I had in mind who became available this January but went to LA Galaxy was Marky Legato uh, as a guy that you could put in front of him as well. Ooh, and so, you know what I mean? Like, I can imagine ways in which he's put in the right position. But because he's not the most athletic guy uh, and because he's being asked to do a lot, he's not always going to look good. So I, I, I want I really do believe that there is a good, useful player in there. We're not seeing the best player right now. And on the in terms of his partner in that double pivot, we're definitely not seeing a huge contribution from that role. I think Rometty is a perfectly passable MLS player, um, but he's definitely not the right fit next to Yule. And passable is kind of as best I get. And Jutsen, it does seem like we're never going to get prime Jutsen again. Uh, and I think that his limitations in his all-around game are, are probably too great at this point to justify him wow. uh, being a big contributor. So what I would say is that's a place to go invest a lot of money. That's a, a TAM player waiting to happen is that kind of another pivot midfielder. Um, and I think that, that would solidify the group uh, in a lot of ways. It would open up the guys in front of him, uh, certainly, uh, to, to be more expressive and more uh, proactive and creative. It would definitely cover from the guys behind him. So, but then, of course, there's a tactical element as well, uh, and that tactical element is uh, is something that's actually beyond me. Quite frankly, I know the roster game pretty well. The tactics, I, I trust that whoever comes in to be the next coach will, will be able to take care of that uh, in some way, shape, or form. I think Cavello is just trying to make, you know, he swooped into the middle of the season with a roster that he didn't shape himself. You know, he's probably doing his best, but I think that a, a full off season with a permanent hire that gets to shape the roster a little bit more will get more out of the midfielders they have. And I think that they probably need an upgrade. on. Absolutely agree with that point. I think also it allows Jamero Montero to play more freely up in the attacking portion of, of the field, which right now, and I think we saw it a lot in this game, you're seeing Jamero Montero, who is fully capable of tracking back, having to track back and make plays as well. It's same thing with Benji Kakanovic. Many of you may remember when we had Benji on the press conference about a week ago, um, him cursing about the fact that he had to go back and play defensively. I think when you have the, the guys who can pivot in the midfield, when they can take care of those defensive responsibilities, that opens up the attacking play for not only the wing the wingers, guys like Benji Kakanovic and like what we saw a lot tonight with Christian Espinoza, but you allow for a player who is probably the best player on the squad right now, Jamiro Montero, to have that freedom in the attacking part of the pitch as well. So, Robert Jonas, I'm going to go ahead and uh, kick it over to you to hear your, th your thoughts on the central midfield, and then we'll go ahead and go to the last segment of the show and sort of wrap things up as we approach an hour here. For the yeah, there's there's not as a lot that I need to add to what Colin mentioned. And, and you know, it really, for me, does you know, come down to a, a position, if you will, that, you know, a lot of folks like to say there's a, a glut of central midfielders in San Jose. And and if you uh, just look down a paper roster and look at see where people's uh, positions are listed, yeah, it looks like there's a lot of central midfielders. But there's no one of those that, that truly stands out to me other than Jamiro Montero as a guy that, you know, is going to be my sure starter. And if you're going to play with three in some combination, you know, it's like, okay, who are the next two players going to be? Um, if you want to make sure Jackson Ewell is another one of those then Colin's right there has to just there has to be that 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 support player that that can not just the Jackson can count on but the center backs can count on because I think there's still so much uncertainty in that position I like when Jackson plays the six I like watching him in that position you know I think he has a lot of vision you know I didn't like the uh, the, the Almeida experiment of pushing him even further back I think that was you know taking away his strengths but when he has his head up when he's looking around and, and able to kind of really scope out the field he's uh you know you know something uh you know 
can happen there. You know, there are some good passes that can, can, can come from Jackson. And, and so, you know, that seems to be where he fits really well. You know, he, he was kind of, he was at the, uh, uh, you know, I would say he was at fault for that second goal tonight. You know, uh, he was unable to track uh, Drew Isi running in late. You know, Thompson was uh, sort of sucked into goal by uh, Diego Fagundes. You can't really blame Tommy for that necessarily. And it just became an easy second goal. You know, um, if they had a, a player that had the mobility that could, cover that space maybe that play isn't as uh, open maybe that goal isn't uh, as, as straightforward as it ended up being for austin tonight so if if the quakes can free up money to 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 you know bring in a and i think tam level or even you know dare i say get into the dp game if they can get away if they can find the right guy that's that's probably where it's going to be you know everyone pointed the defense needing help you know but you know colin you're absolutely right you know it doesn't work if you don't have a strong and and, and uh you know productive central midfield all right let's go ahead and move over to the last segment here colin um just final thoughts in regards to the team moving forward uh, before we close out the show yeah um i don't know i'll just mention one thing that we haven't mentioned yet uh they played uh you know they played recently and on short notice they dug out a really pretty impressive result against a, a pretty solid team Drusi, a, a player who was spectacular tonight they managed to, you know, at least limit him a tiny bit uh, in a hostile environment in a packed stadium on the road, short notice. Uh, they dug out a draw. That's actually a pretty good result, um, especially given that this team w- is very thin uh, and it does not have the two players that they just added. Um, and so it didn't, you know, it's even thinner than they will be uh, in a couple of days. So uh, I, I think that there, there's a lot of credit um, uh, to this team for pulling out this result. Uh, and that's the that's the small picture. That's the micro picture. Macro picture, it's going to be a little while before this team settles in, and, and it's disappointing. But I think disappointing as it is, is the right decision um, for the front office to not be over aggressive and overextend itself on on players to cover for this season. That's a lost cause. And I'm I, I'm sorry to everyone that I keep saying that, but five thirty eight, three percent likelihood of making the playoffs. It's probably not going to happen. And I'm fine with that. Maybe I'm different than most fans, but I actually, I resonate most with teams when I care. I like the direction they're going in or I can identify with them and I enjoy watching them play. Reno 1868, I didn't care if they ever won the USL. I don't know if they have a cup or a trophy or whatever. I didn't care. What I liked was I just liked watching players who I enjoyed watching develop and watch them play a style that I enjoyed. Uh, that's that there's absolutely joy to be had with this team for the rest of this year. Uh, the joy just can't be structured around winning trophies. So if you're in, if you, if you watch sports to be the one of the 28 teams every year that hosts the trophy, you know, more power to you. I hope that, you know, your other teams, i.e. the Dallas Cowboys, the, you know, you know, man United, the Yankees uh, fans out in the world who the, all the combo fans, good for you. Uh, enjoy your suffering because you mostly, you know, don't get that achievement. For San Jose Earthquakes fans, this is purely enjoy the process uh, is is what you got. Uh, and the offseason is where there are improvements to be made. But I really do think that there is a clear roadmap for that improvement in a way that there hasn't been in years. Um, so great performance. Let's emphasize how impressive a result this was tonight um, and, uh, for a threadbare squad. And for the longer picture, you know, I don't know. Uh, get find a comfy chair uh, and and kick back on it. All right, Robert Jonas, your five thoughts. 
Uh, I have that comfy chair and it does help. Thanks, Colin. I, I think most fans could agree with that one. You know, it's, uh, you know, they do have a plan. I mean, a, a lot of us who've had the opportunity to talk with people within the organization, you know, there is a plan. You know, the, the challenge, of course, is, you know, publicly it's difficult to convey a plan that is not necessarily about winning, you know, any hardware this year, or winning trophies, you know, it's, you know, and, and, and no one likes to be told, wait till next year for a team that seems like that's going to be going on a decade now so you know it's it's you know the, if if the folks in charge can can continue on their path if they can continue to check the boxes that they've set forth for themselves then there is that hope on the horizon um i really would like to see more you know maybe something a little more public in the coaching search you know chris talked to us you know he didn't give a lot of details uh, the search is ongoing they're being very careful they they want to make sure they do get it right and, and they're not going to rush into anything it's like okay but you know then then it just feels like limbo and maybe alex covello's been told what what the deal will be for him one way or the other um i don't think he's let go if he's not made the permanent head coach he probably goes right back into the position he had he still wears that hat you know like uh, like his assistant coaching staff and there's probably still a place for them in the organization so you know the 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 outward look of you know we're still in it we're still trying to win we're still trying to make the playoffs is is yeah I know they have to do that. I know that has to be the the message to to fans and you know but uh you know as long as you know the the that's you know their plan is going forth behind the scenes uh then that's what's will make me the most um encouraged that San Jose 2023 you know truly will get me out of my comfy chair and maybe a, a little more engaged in 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 some of the uh the the team's pursuits. So for me, I just think that the, this team is most exciting to watch when they take risks. The the team for the last few years, you know, starting when Matias Almeida became the head coach until now, even under Alex Covello, has been a very high possession team that tends to make the safe pass at times and then occasionally will take those risks in order to create goal scoring opportunities. And I just think that, you know, this game is a great example. Um, they had a really low XG and yet they still had, they still took those opportunities to score the goals. We saw two gritty goals from two of the, the forwards on this team. And then we saw a really amazing goal from Paul Marie uh, from distance as well. I would just like to see the team take more chances, really. And, and that being said, I think one chance that Alex Covello could take is to play the young guys. I think we're at the point now, Colin, you mentioned the percentage of, uh, you know, that that 538 has their San Jose Earthquakes at for making the playoffs is incredibly low, almost to the point now where it's like, OK, let's evaluate what's going to be best for the team, considering that they're probably not going to make the playoffs. And for me, that's putting in players like Nico Chikaris, because he, you know, can perhaps be that guy that changes the the complexion and the identity of this team coming through the academy and having the opportunity to create goals in a way that we haven't quite seen too often before perhaps that can go for players like Syed Haji Usaini Buddha some of the other younger guys that are that are currently in the system that simply aren't getting the minutes because they're trying more to get like the point on the road rather than the long-term goal which could be having younger players who could step in and make the the starting 11 of the squad so uh, I did want to refer back again to our website www.quakesepicenter.com catch the latest article on there from Colin Etnire and catch our Patreon as well. Now, here's the cool thing. If you pay $5 a month or more as a patron, not only do you get access to our Quakes Epicenter Slack, 
which is a lot of fun. We have our writers on there and our, our Quakes Epicenter personalities. You also get access to some of the other special perks, like if you were to look at Colin's article, he not only writes about, uh, he not only creates a scouting report, report in the writing form, the written form, but you can also find actual video footage of the players as well. That's if you are a $5 or more patron for Quake's Epicenter. I think that's a really cool perk. So go over to our website and check that out. Become a patron, contribute to Quake's Epicenter, follow us on social media, on Twitter, at Quake's Epicenter or Instagram, and uh, be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and turn on your notifications so you can find us after every game um, right here on the Aftershock. Thank you for joining us tonight.